Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Welcome to Canaan Bound Podcast, a podcast designed to offer the Christian rest during life's journey. Canaan Bound Podcast features devotional segments by pastors serving in the Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod, along with church history, mission news, and music by various Christian artists who support our teaching. I'm Philip Wells, and this is episode number 98. We begin today with a Bible truth card. Bible truth cards were developed by the elders of St. Mark's Lutheran Church as a witnessing tool to help grow in faith and share your faith with others. The questions and answers are focused on topics that are essential to our understanding of God's love for us. You can find copies of the cards on their church website, and we'll have a link in the show description for this episode. It is hoped that you will find these Bible truths both inspiring and uplifting. May God bless you and keep you in the one true faith. Bible Truths Question 1. Is the Bible completely true? How can we believe the Bible is completely true when it was written thousands of years ago and for the people of that period? Creating heaven, earth, and life requires a power and intelligence beyond our understanding. Since our Creator has the superior intelligence and power to create, wouldn't we expect that He could create a document, the Bible, and know exactly what to write in it to give us saving faith? Wouldn't we also expect that God would write in such a way that it would apply not only to our societies before us, but to all societies for all time? Absolutely. Why would we think that God would allow any message in his word not to be for our good? Why would we interpret his word based on when it was written rather than why it was written? Our sinful human nature wants to interpret the word so we do not offend the secular world and risk being criticized as being too conservative or out of touch with reality. The Bible is an amazing book, even though it includes many writers over thousands of years. It has but one author, God. God says what he means and means what he says in his word. He tells us that what is written is sufficient for our salvation. We should not add to it nor take away from it. God reveals his plan through the prophets, priests, and kings in the Old Testament, and through Jesus and the apostles in the New Testament. Everything in the Bible took place and was written for the purpose of bringing salvation to all people, and therefore it is for the good of all people. It brings great joy to Christians to know that God's word is without error and that God himself has not and will never change. He will always love us more than we can ever imagine, and freely gives all believers eternal life with him in heaven. God's word on the inerrancy of the Bible from the NIV. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. For a time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 32. See that you do all I command you. Do not add to it or take away from it. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. 
It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 21 For the prophecy never had its origin in the human will. The prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Bible truth cards were developed by the elders of St. Mark's Lutheran Church, a Wells congregation in Bemidji, Minnesota, in 2014. And now we listen to a song by Chris Dresbach called Pray, from his album One Cross, Three Nails. Now it's time for a moment with the master with Pastor Aaron Nitz. 
Welcome. Today let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. They read, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Light and momentary the past week and a half of nasty flu virus has been bouncing around my family. Light and momentary is not the first descriptor that comes to mind. In fact, there's quite a few bad things that we could hardly call light and momentary, right? Hearing the doctor say it's cancerous, getting a foreclosure notice, or losing a loved one. Light and momentary? Really? You see, when we focus our attention on what we see with our eyes, our visible condition, our difficulties and troubles, it's pretty easy for us to become discouraged or disappointed or frustrated or upset or angry. The reality is that we live in a world full of sin and its consequences and we can, we can see it. But God directs our attention elsewhere. God wants us to see what is not seen, not what is seen. He refocuses our attention on the eternal glory that He has secured for us with Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. In the grand scheme of things, our lives are a mere speck of dust compared with eternal glory. So as you go about your tasks, as you face life's difficulties, see what is not seen, the eternal glory Jesus won for you, and through it, God gives you a certain joy, a certain peace, a certain hope, no matter what. So indeed, compared with eternal glory, our troubles are light and momentary. So see what is not seen, not what is seen. Amen. And now we join Pastor Timothy Smith with God's Word for you. God's Word for you, Job 32, verses 10 to 22. This chapter of Job presents an interesting possibility. The number of verses in chapter 32 is 22, which is the number of letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Now, in some chapters of the Bible, like Lamentations 1 and 2 and Lamentations 4 and many of the Psalms, this uh, 22-verse chapter is intentional because the chapters there are meant to be acrostic or alphabet poems. Each line begins with a successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Um, uh, several lines of Job 30, 32 uh, almost seem to be examples of another type of Eastern poetry, not acrostic, where the head or, or acro is the, of, of the stitch or line of poetry is a letter of the alphabet, but a mesostic, in which a word in the middle of the line begins with or at least contains a certain letter of the alphabet. Although most of the first half of the lines of this chapter happen to match this pattern, little of the rest of the chapter fits the pattern. In all, there are maybe 10, 11 or 12 lines out of the 22 that seem to be to be mesostic, where there's a middle letter, where it's a successive letter of the alphabet. Notice that verses 11 and 12 have been incorrectly numbered. The verse numbers are not part of the original text, um, but they were numbered uh, later on, around the time of Martin Luther. Forcing the chapter into a perceived poetic structure is not grounds for altering the text or rearranging any of the, of the lines. A broken poetic structure in the Bible can indicate a broken relationship between God and his people. This might be the case 
in the first chapter of the book of Nahum, there it could be possibly, or rather here it could possibly indicate that Elihu thought he had something carefully crafted to say, but that he really had nothing at all of value to add. So the mesostic poem breaks apart. In fact, the first five verses of chapter 32 are not in a poetic form at all. In the end, um, I have to say that I'm not convinced that there is enough evidence to label Job 32 as a broken mesostic poem. If it were, it would be the only example I know of in the Bible. But let's listen to what the words actually say. First, verses 10 to 14. Therefore I say, listen to me, I too will tell you what I know. I waited while you spoke, I listened to your reasoning. While you were searching for words, I gave you my full attention. But not one of you has proved Job wrong. None of you has answered his arguments. Do not say we have found wisdom. Let God, not man, refute him. But Job has not marshaled his words against me, and I will not answer him with your arguments. Elihu says that he has been paying close attention to the speeches of Job and the others, but Job's friends have never quite found the right words for their accusations. Job has been able to deny everything. For Elihu, this doesn't prove Job's innocence. It only shows, Elihu tries to be tactful, the incompetence of of Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. The translation marshaled his words in verse 14. Job has has not marshaled his words against me. That's an excellent translation. The verb arak means to arrange in order, whether you're setting the table or setting up ranks for battle or setting up an argument in a legal case. So far, Elihu has stayed out of this battle of words, and he thinks that now he can wade into the fight like a champion. Let's read verses 15 to 20. They are dismayed and have no more to say. Words have failed them. Must I wait now that they are silent, now that they stand there with no reply? I too will have my say. I too will tell what I know. For I am full of words, and the spirit within me compels me. Inside I am like bottled up wine, like new wineskins ready to burst. I must speak and find relief. I must open my lips and reply. The second half of verse 19, which says, like new wineskins ready to burst, that's posed problems for translators for 2,200 years. Since the Greek translation was attempted in 200 BC, the Hebrew word ob usually means uh, a necromancer, a medium, somebody who attempts to communicate with the dead. This is the word in Leviticus 20.27, which says, A man or woman who is an ob, a medium or spiritist among you, must be put to death. You are to stone them. Now, the context here has nothing to do with any kind of witchcraft, but about a wine skim bursting. Now, although necromancer could conceivably be a local name for a variety of wine, the way that we could understand, you know, white lightning to be a variety of whiskey, it's more likely that we're dealing with a homonym here, a word that sounds like necromancer or medium, but which just means wineskin. Verses 21 and 22. I will show no partiality, nor will I flatter anyone. For if I were skilled in flattery, my maker would soon take me away. Verses 21 and 22 are the end of Elihu's opening speech. They are a flourish at the end of this new friend's fanfare. I'm not going to flatter you. Although he wants to be the new champion, Elihu doesn't add anything to the discussion here. 
There are times when this happens in any of our lives. How many times have you been in a meeting or in a class and somebody feels the need to express something that has already been said? It can be frustrating for some people to sit through such an event, but usually it's better to just let it happen than to stomp on the person and say, we've already heard this. A person can feel as if they've had their say and be satisfied with the result, even if the course of action or the point they have made is not the action or decision taken. Elihu is also very young. God will all but ignore these speeches of Elihu's in the end, but we will let let him have his say as God does, and then we will listen to the Lord himself. Elihu's speech is a lot like a broken poem, but the word of the Lord stands firm forever. Now, the mesostic elements in chapter 32 that I mentioned um, uh, could be seen in the way that I'm about to uh, to uh, describe. Um, if you wanted to find a complete copy of the Hebrew alphabet and you don't know any Hebrew, you could turn to Psalm 119 in the Bible and look at the beginning of every eighth verse, and your copy of the Bible will probably have the Hebrew for the letters of the alphabet printed there. I will say the letters of the alphabet and tell you which middle word in each verse seems to follow the alphabet down through about, um, uh, well, I'll go all the way to verse 22, but not all of the words seem to fit right, but many of them do, especially, as I said before in the beginning. So in verse 1, Aleph is the first letter of the word Job. It's really Ayov in verse 1. Bait, the second letter, is in Ben Barakel, the son of Barakel. In verse 3, there's no example of a gimel, but in verse 4, there is a dalet with um, Badavarim uh, to speak, with, which also has a preposition in verse 4. The He, the fifth letter of the alphabet, could be the definite article in Ha-Anashim, men, in verse 5. Then the first part of verse 6, we might have a vav, which is the word and in Hebrew in va-amor, and he answered in verse 6a. And the zion seems to be in the second part of verse 6, the word zachalti, I was fearful. Chet, uh, the eighth letter of the alphabet, seems to be in verse uh, 7, toward the end of the verse in chokhmah, wisdom. There is no Tate, the ninth letter, but there is a uh, the tenth letter of the alphabet, Yod, in Yech uh, Kamo, uh, uh, who, those who are wise, in verse 9. But there's no Kaf um, in, in, in the eleventh letter of the alphabet. But there is a Lamed in Lud de Brechem, while you spoke, in verse 11. And there's a Mame, the twelfth ver- or the thirteenth letter of the alphabet, in the twelfth verse, Mokiach which is proved. Now, there is no noon. Um, I, I I've, might have a possibility, but I don't think that it really is in verse 13. And there's no Samek, the 15th letter. Um, there is an ayin, however, in verse 15, which is the word ud, more. Um, the letter pay, which is the 17th letter of the alphabet, doesn't occur unless... Um, we see in the two examples of the word must in verse 17, although that ends with pay, uff, uff, he says must, we, must, we. And then in 18, there does seem to be a, a tzade, which is the 18th letter of the alphabet, in uh, 
hetsikatani compels with a with a particle that makes it a question. Um, there isn't a good example of a kof, but at the end of verse 19, that word for burst, um, yibakeach, does have a kof in it, although it doesn't begin with kof. And there's no letter resh, um, the 20th letter, unless it's there in vayirvach, uh, relief in verse 20. And the same thing of the of the letter shin or tav at the end of the poem. Again, it seems to be a broken apart mesostic poem to some. Um, nobody who's published anything has said this, but now I suppose I have um, in this devotion. Anyway, I'm Pastor Tim Smith. This is God's Word for you. As we go our separate ways this week, we part with The Traveler's Blessing, a song by the divers from their latest CD, Where You Are Now. There comes a time when revelries must end And we're blessed we can consider you our friends Take the time we've had to heart As we all prepare to part And may angels line the highways as you go Peace be with you And may all your troubles get behind you too. May angels line the highways, the back roads and the byways. Angels line the highways as you go. May God the Father and His only Son and the Holy Spirit three in Be with you on your way, so we can meet another day. And may angels line the highways as you go. Peace be with you. And may all your troubles get behind you too. May angels line the highways. The back roads and the byways, angels line the highways as you go. Angels line the highways as you go. Angels line the highways as you go. You have been listening to Canaanbaum Podcast, episode number 98. This podcast was first shared in February of 2015. Visit CanaanbaumPodcast.com to subscribe, listen to older episodes, or find links to the artists featured on this show. We'd like to thank Christopher Dresbach and The Divers for allowing us to share their music with you this week. Once again, my name is Philip Wells. It was a privilege to be your host for this episode. We encourage you to visit wells.net to find a Wells ministry location near you. Thank you for listening.